This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there, too. Welcome to HITS Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Back with another edition tonight, and I have a good friend of mine. I've been friends with uh, Pete Stevens out of Southern California for quite a few years. I, Pete, I can't even remember how we actually met the first time, but uh, I think it was when, uh, I, was, when was, I was working with Ray Allen. Yeah, I think when I still, yeah, I still owned a publication. You guys came to, you were one of the hits of uh, uh, people with Ray Allen a lot. So we've known each other now for quite a few years, and uh, uh, Pete's been a cop for a long time. So. I brought Pete on because I'm going to start doing quite a few uh, shows now with different people from around, uh, geographically, you know, maybe all over the world. I think it'd be a good time uh, looking at all the changes going on in law enforcement and our profession also. I think it'd be good to kind of uh, get ideas from lots of different voices about things we're doing good and things we're doing bad. And it's easy, you know, to kind of sit back and, and only talk about the bad things, but our our profession overall, I think we do more good than bad. And uh, so Pete and I were talking about different ideas for a podcast, and we kind of came up with this format. And uh, after this one, I've got a few other guests lined up, and we're going to hit this this topic a few times of just kind of highlighting the good and bad, and uh, give give hopefully uh, after you know twenty minutes of listening to this, you'll have some uh, food for thought about uh, maybe anything you could change with your uh, own agency. So, Pete, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing really good, really good. Excited about doing the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, I've been bugging you to do it for quite a while. So can you uh, kind of go over your background for the listeners and kind of talk about what you've done? Sure. Uh, well, um, I'm a I'm a cop down in uh, Southern California, real close to the border. I've uh, been in law enforcement now a total, a little over 31 years, 23-plus uh, years with the, my current agency. And then prior to that, I was with our our local county marshal's office for about seven years. It pretty much started right out of high school. I was 18 years old. And actually, the day after I graduated, I knew that's what I wanted to do. So I went and applied. And for some reason, they hired an 18-year-old kid. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I got to spend uh, um, my, my my formative years, if you will, uh, um, without serving papers. And I was a bailiff in court, which actually, uh, believe it or not, was, I feel probably one of the best things for me because I'm very comfortable in a courtroom. Yeah, if you spend that much um, time in it, yeah. It wasn't scary. I mean, I had talked to judges. I talked to DAs, talked to defense attorneys. I had all of them that were my friends. So, you know, courtroom ended up being a pretty pretty comfortable place for me. Uh, started, always wanted to work a dog. Um, went on some ride-alongs with a, a local uh, agency that was uh, had a huge canine unit, 50-plus agents, 50-plus uh, dogs. And uh, made some friends with them. And just, you know, that was always something I'd wanted to do in my career. I uh, got hired by the, my current employer and uh, was given a, uh, my first dog was a single purpose uh, KMPV Dutch Shepherd, um, weighed 90 pounds, uh, was as tall as me. And yeah, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff's seen me, but he knows I'm, I'm a little on the short side. So, you know, this is a big dog. Um, I and he was a patrol years. dog, right? Yeah, he was a single purpose patrol dog. Um, yeah. Like I said, I worked him for about five years. Uh, I got promoted and uh, my agency's policy was uh, if you get promoted, you got to rotate out. So <clears throat> I did rotate out. Um, and then I went to our narcotics section, uh, started our narcotics uh, detection canine program that we didn't have one at the time. They kind of gone to the wayside after, uh, you know, I think it gone dormant for about 15, maybe, maybe 20 years. Uh, was able to bring it back. 
uh, very successful with that dog. Um, got to work a, but it was, it was polar opposites for me with going from the, the patrol dog to the single purpose detection dog. Cause I had this big 90 pound Dutch shepherd. And then I went over to this 70 pound, you know, a uh, lab and, you know, that was going through, you know, all my, my Dutch commands. I knew them all. And uh, I tried to use them on the lab and labs looking at me going, you know, so it was a big change for me to go from one to the other, to be in all happy uh, and mostly positive stuff with the dog. And then uh, we uh, have a rotation policy. Um, I spent my eight years in, in our narcotics unit. I had to uh, rotate out, but uh, command staff was pretty good to me and they allowed me to uh, rotate out, but go to our proactive units and take the dog with me. Then I got to uh, focus on interdiction for about three years, about probably about a year into it with the lab. Um, she decided, you know, lab being lab, yeah. she didn't want to work anymore. And uh, they uh, offered me uh, a dual purpose dog. And I said, heck yeah, I'll take one. So I got a little 65 pound Malinois. Um, that was a lot of fun. Great dog. He's actually still in service. I uh, got to doing a, uh, I can actually remember the moment clearly. I was doing a, a canyon search for a bad guy at like two o'clock in the morning. And I'm thinking to myself, why am I doing this again? <laughs> it's, I should be at home in bed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and a spot opened up on a federal task force and I applied for it. And I took it. I gave up the dog to come to the task force. Um, but lo and behold, uh, the task force decided that they needed a dog. And I just happened to know the guy yeah. <laughs> uh, to do that. So that was me. Um, ended up getting uh, another, uh, another lab. Actually, he's the biggest dog I've ever worked. His, uh, He's 91 pounds, and um, he's actually the, the first dog that I've trained using a marker. So uh, that was big a big thing for me. I mean, I yeah. know that you, you're you aware that you know, I'm, I'm pretty good friends with Cameron yeah. Ford, and uh, so we do a lot of training together, and uh, I do a lot of training on the civilian side, and Cam and I, uh, you know, I, I became a believer in it, and I see me too. it. It's a, it's a method that I, I like to use, and I, I think it's very effective for what we do. Oh, me too. It's funny how much... Uh our careers. I mean, we both have the same number of years on. I've got 31 years on and I've also been fortunate, you know, I did patrol dogs and quite a few different patrol dogs. One of them was dual purpose drug uh, patrol. Other was were single purpose. And now I've got a, a bomb dog and I've got, I also have a currency and a gun dog. So it's funny how, how we both have had kind of the same career where we kind of have been fortunate to work lots of different dogs. And then we also have come full circle to where um, obviously what we did before with our detector dogs worked fine, but when I learned the marker, it's like, wow, I wish I would have done that 25 years ago. So I think that's one of the things that we're, that we're doing well is that we're, we're moving, uh, uh, towards some, 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 some science-based things where, you know, we find that they're very effective. I mean, heck, if you can train Shamu using yeah. a marker, you, why can't we use, uh, you know, a marker for our police dogs? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very, very cool thing that yeah. we're doing. And that's one of those things that I think that we are definitely improving on is getting uh, a little bit more advanced in, in our, in our training. But I kind of wanted to talk about, you know, basically from the start, cause I I'm, I'm reflecting back and I'm kind of going, well, what, what did I wish somebody had told me right when I was going to the patrol handlers course, uh, my, my very first time, I'm sure you probably remember it as well. Like, okay, you know, you're, you're all fired up. You're, you know, yeah, we're going to go to this this patrol academy. This is going to be great. And uh, I had no idea what a Dutch Shepherd was. <laughs> you know, they say, oh, yeah, you're getting this Dutchie. And I'm like, well, what's that? And I go, oh, it's a, he's a tiger stripey little thing. And um, my wife goes, no, that, that's Brendel. That's Brendel coloring, <laughs> honey. And so, uh, and he was, like I said, he was at KMPV import. And um, I was very fortunate going through that patrol handlers course 
I had guys that were in that course that were working their fifth and sixth dog. Yeah. And so that's a lot of experience. Oh, These yeah. guys were very generous to me and, and shared a lot of knowledge with me. But one of them told me, he goes, you know what? You should really go learn what your dog is trained to do. Yep. So, I mean, being a KMPV dog, and this is, you know, 2000, um, VCRs were still the thing. I ended yep. up going on a, uh, I don't even know if the internet, if we had the internet back then, but I remember getting a hold of the uh, VHS tape of KMPV trials. And I'm now learning, okay, this is why my dog does what he does. Yep. Yeah. Probably, so it was probably to, a, one of the Learberg tapes from when he'd. Yep. Yeah, yep. it was. It was actually yep. from Learberg. Yeah. It was one of the Learberg takes. And, and, you know, um, one of the other things that I learned too was uh, the guys that I was working, that I worked with. Yeah. They were all salty. I mean, very salty, but they also were paying attention to what was going on during, during training. Um, they weren't gathered in a group BSing. They were, they were there to train. And so that kind of set the tone for everything. And I, and I was very impressed by what I saw, especially now going back and looking back at it, you know, but, paying attention to what's going on during training with somebody else's dog. Exactly. It's going to, it's going to make you that much better. Don't be that handler that is sitting out in the car on um, your phone. Oh God, dude, if I, <laughs> my department issue phones and I would love to just throw it on the ground and say, get another one, <laughs> but you can't do that. Yeah. But, uh, um, you know, more than one person's had that talk, but paying attention to what's going on. But, you know, and also when you're, when you are watching training, don't be afraid to ask the trainer why they're doing something some, a, a certain way. I mean, not, not confrontational, obviously, yeah, yeah. but just go, Hey, so I can understand the process. Where, where's this yeah. going? Yeah. So that you don't mess things up down the road because we both know that uh, we've seen problems quote fixed overnight and they are not, no, uh, they're still there. They're going to rear their ugly head, but it's been masked. Yeah. You know, it's been, you know, but it, the the root of the problem hasn't been yeah, whatever solved. caused the behavior to begin with is still there, right? It's still definitely there. So, but there's a process to it. If you understand that process, you're probably not going to be repeating it. I agree. Or, or you at least you're not going to impede it, so that when your next training session comes along, the trainer doesn't look at you and go, "What did you do? Yeah. What, what did you do to this dog? Yeah. You know, things were looking really good, and then you know, you you graduate from that and you graduate from that at patrol academy and you you think you know everything or at least i can tell you right now your, your agency thinks you do well yeah because you've certified so now you're ready, right, to, you're go, certified you're ready to go work. and you you're ready to go to work but just like how we were cops we came out of the academy and we were assigned an fto i had now looking back i wish to god that i had an fto yes i agree i wish that i had somebody saying okay yeah, you're you're a cop and everything still, but okay, this is the this is a good area to go break your dog. Um, hey, if the, if this is going on, uh, we need to start setting up containment. We need to make sure that that's yep. this is getting done. X is getting done. Uh, X, Y, and Z. So if we have that for patrol cops, why don't we have it for our canine guys? I know, you know, um, speaking with Doug Roller and Mike Goosby and their uh, yeah. Gaunt, guys out of L.A. Uh, um, and in LA will tell you all those agencies was they got good at things because they had to. Yeah. Because they got sued a lot. Yep. And they and but that they got they have that that program, which I think is fantastic. And you know, they get supervised. Yeah. They're still cops, they're still doing canine handling, but they're kind of like, okay, these tasks are complete, just like you did when you were a trainee. They went to your we we had a book, you know, big yeah. catalog, and you 
things got signed off. I went over on this. You understand this. So I think that's a really, a really good um, thing to do. And you, and you got to sell it to admin. You, yeah. You've got to be able to sell it to admin because they're probably going to be looking at it. You know, if you're a smaller agency, they're going to be looking at it going, well, gosh, that's, you know, that's a body. That's a, yeah. that, that, that's a body that's going to be yeah. out. That's a, you know, is, are, 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 is your canine unit or your dogs, are they considered part of minimums or are they, you know, citywide? Or are you just a, uh, um, a, a cop, a regular patrol cop with a dog in the car? Uh, I, and I think the majority of the comp- I think the majority of the country actually is that way. You know, I'm I'm semi large agency. Um, when I started though in, in canine, we were beat cops with dogs, and then staffing levels rose, and then we became citywide cars. But being able to have admin, you know, be supportive of you, and, and you know, being good, being good stewards for the unit, because I, I think that we've seen it where if it's uh, um if one handler it, it screws up then it's the entire unit I mean, we, we see that law enforcement oh, yeah. now yep. one officer makes uh, a bad judgment or you know goes a little over overboard on something that we we all feel I and mean, we're feeling that right now more than anything else yeah more than any point of our career right now i think right so and yeah you know, i mean I, 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 just to reiterate I, I agree with you on that i think and it could just be you know get sold from the very beginning that i'm going to need x number of weeks to train the dog off the street then I need, you know, at least X number of weeks for getting enough deployments where I can be with this handler as the trainer and be out there working him on all of his first deployments so I can be right there with him to help him, you know, and that just builds for success. But I'm kind of passionate about that subject because my my very first, because I kind of went through the same thing. I had a KNVP dog and uh, I had good training. I mean, we had a good program. A very, we've always had a good program in my agency. Um, so I had good training but no one had put a lot of work into what a CanVP dog does. So that's how I knew about Learberg is I went and bought his videos too. And I thought, I want to learn what, what is a CanVP dog. But then when uh, my very first um, physical apprehension with the dog was an officer involved shooting. And I look at some of the tactics I employed, I was still in dog training mode. And if mm-hmm. I would have had a real senior handler with me, um, the result, then it, it would have probably ended up all the same but I probably wouldn't have been exposed in ways that I was because I was still kind of thinking about trying to get the dog, you know, in areas. So um, from then on, when I became a trainer, I kind of did what you're saying. And and um, it wasn't a formal TO type program, but we didn't just throw a handler out on their own without having experienced handlers work, you know, with them step by step. So even if you don't have a huge uh, uh, agency like, you know, LAPD, a smaller agency, hopefully, you know, you can spare that extra body and have the trainer out there. I mean, even if it's just for a couple of, uh, just for a couple of weeks, just to kind of get the, uh, I was very fortunate for, for me that my, uh, we had two dogs on, on my squad when I first graduated. Yeah. And so I had a senior handler and my very first, it wasn't an apprehension, but my very first search with the dog was a, a large school, uh, area that had been burglarized. Um, and I'm still, I mean, it's my, my first deployment with the dog. I'm, yeah. I'm nervous as all hell. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I'm, but I had a senior handler with me. who's was like, okay, you know, just like in training, yeah. go over there, just go in. And that's actually something, uh, that's another thing that I think we're doing really well on is uh, I'm seeing a lot of really good, uh, scenario based training going on. I, yeah, Instead I, of just, I agree. just running through the motions. Yep. I see a lot of good stuff where, uh, um, you know, handlers are being uh, led to make, they have to make decisions. 
yeah. is this uh, is this a uh, uh, the correct use of of a canine? Yep. Is is this or it, it, did the did the problem evolve to it wasn't before, but now it is? Yeah, it, it started out yeah. as a dog search, and now it's no longer a dog search. It's now. Did those things kind of change? And yeah. I think that's a those those scenarios because they also um, help you do some street worthiness stuff. Yep. There's some there's some pretty high speed um, scenario, uh, training seminars and stuff going on out there, and those are definitely uh, needed for sure. But we also got to make sure we fine tune things as well, and make the the decision process going through an officer's head because they're the ones going to have to articulate why they deployed the dog. Yeah. Yep. And it's better to actually. Uh, I'm also one of our use of force instructors for the uh, the, the simulators, uh, um, and I think that is the indoctrination of you know of, of stress in training is so much better now to do it in that scenario than have to do it in in, in real life. Have somebody okay, yeah. what'd you see, what'd you do, and why? Yeah, and I think yeah, when right. you start when you set a kind of a culture within your training group, whether it's just your agency or if you train the large group, when you set a culture of like we, uh, when, when I was still in patrol canine, we had a really good relationship with the next agency uh, next to us, which is also a large agency. And it was a friendly, like kind of, you know, we, we, we kind of screw with each other on setting up scenarios, but it wasn't to, to get anybody mad. It was just kind of a little friendly rivalry. If we could think of something we'd, invite them over and vice versa. And it turned into something where we were putting a lot of stress on each other and making decisions and, you know, physical stress, mental stress on us and the dog and everything. And man, both units got really good just because there was nobody that was ever upset and it wasn't about embarrassing anybody or it wasn't even, wasn't even a competition. My dog did better. It was just, you know, even though we'd of course, you know, give each other a hard time, but if, if you can set up that kind of uh, culture within whatever your group is, uh, those scenario-based trainings come pretty, pretty easy when it's not that, you know, my dog's better than your dog and I'm not going to fail. So therefore I'm not going to, if you do a hard scenario, I'm going to get mad about it. So. Well, there, there are, isn't, isn't training supposed to be hard? Yeah, I mean, but you know what I mean. supposed to be yeah. difficult. You know, yeah. no, I mean, I get yeah. you. No, I, I hear you. But uh, um, if, if training, if, if training wasn't difficult and that means you, you didn't raise the bar high enough, I agree. That, mean, I agree. that means you just had rehearsal. You had a walkthrough. Yep. I now agree. granted, there's probably going to be some scenarios where, you know, you did pretty well and the, and the dog is you and the dog are just in tune and that's great. Um, and you definitely should have those, but you should also have those ones where it's, you know, going to put the screws to yep. both of you. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll take a bad day of training any day. I'll, I'll take a bad day in training where I'm like, wow, I learned a lot. You know, I learned, you know, whatever and, uh, uh, and take, take that back and, uh, you'll get more out of it than something that's easy. Cause anybody can run through just a, a quick, you know, one, two, three yeah. Yeah. scenario. But if you've got to make a decision, yeah. you know, you where, yeah. and, and it was challenging and then somebody goes up and goes, well, no, you could have done it this way. It'll give you a different aspect, Absolutely. different, different yep. set of eyes. I definitely think that that's one of the things though, but, uh, one of the things too is uh, that we, that we're doing well is that, uh, that, that training, but one of the things I think we can improve on kind of going on, on that kind of caveat side topic is certifications. Okay. Uh, where I'm going with certifications on is certification level or the level of where you're at is not your highest level. The baseline. That's, that's your baseline. That's your absolute minimum before you go out into the field. And I've seen it. I'm sure everybody else has seen it. Everybody in our profession where you've got certain agencies or certain groups 
that two or three weeks before annual certification comes out, goes outside and just starts tuning up their dogs and demanding all the, what they should have been demanding the whole year. But you'll hear excuses of like, well, I, I, I want to make sure he engages or I, I you know, I, I just want to be, you know, I want to have a bad street dog. Yeah, but you need to have control. Yeah. And you can still have both. Absolutely. And, and you, we, you and I have been fortunate to see really dialed in dogs that are doing great jobs on the street, but also will, will respond to whatever commands are given to them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, but, but I also too will give you an idea when you see really bad ones too. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, I was, I went to a, a, a seminar. I went to a, 2004, I went to a Bob Eaton seminar in Phoenix and there was a handler there. That dog was four years old. The handler was the third handler for that dog. And uh, no, it was not from, it was from an out of state, not, not from the Phoenix area, but it was out of state. And that poor guy um, said he had certified. And I was like, wow. <laughs> You're um, not really certified. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure what your, you know, your certification levels are, but okay. You know, and that's, I think holding our, our, ourselves to that standard of that's our minimum, that's not our best. We need to be putting out our best. You should be able to go out and, and certify any day. So, yeah, on that note, um, I, in my opinion, that's a supervisor's responsibility. I think the supervisor should set that tone that any day of the week I might just say, hey, meet me, and I might not run a whole uh, certification, but I might say I want to see a verbal release from a distance on your dog. And just right. I, Absolutely. Think, I think if they set that tone that any time I expect you to be at that minimum any time, I think uh, that holds people more accountable because I agree I don't – I don't see as much of that as I used to, but I, I, you'd still see somebody who's got to go clean their dog up for two weeks before a cert. And with the level of that most of the certifications are, I, I totally agree that that should be any day of the week. And, and you should be genuinely surprised if, I mean, dogs are dogs, so it could happen, but the expectation should be you should be able to walk through, you know, pretty much every scenario I see or a certification that I see written out there going on today, you should be able to do that pretty easy. You should be absolutely. That's kind of like I said. That you know, that, that's our minimum level. That's not that's not the gold standard. And and where we go in, in training is is I, I I like that I'm seeing um, us go to serious like professional dog trainers, you know, people in the sport world um, that you know we in our the yeah you know, the, the sport world and then the professional world and we kind of hold ourselves off to the side that this highest level because we have liability. There's there's risk in ours. Um, there's, you know, risk of lawsuit there's risk of injury and there's risk of death. And on the sports side, there's really not that kind of pressure, but those guys know how to train dogs. And there's really, we, we get a lot of our dogs that are trained in sport. You know, I actually can't think of a sport right now that trains for a building search. You know, I mean, all the KMPV or Schutzen or whatever it's called this month. Yeah, I'm not sure if PSA does or not. I'm not positive. I'm not sure. Yeah, um, but they're you know, we're we're kind of allowing ourselves to because the way the way I look at it is is would if one of the Gracie brothers wanted to give me uh, advice on jujitsu, I'm going to listen. I'm absolutely going to listen. So why wouldn't I take a guy who's like a, a a a really well respected trainer in a sport and who's going to help me. Um, you know, handle a problem and, you know, teach me things. Uh, and that was one of the, one of the best things I got to do is I was very fortunate to be in, in the area that I'm at. There's a ton of sport dog clubs around here. And um, when I was California dealer for Ray Allen, 
uh, I would go travel all, all around to the different little Schutzen clubs that were here. And uh, <clears throat> one of the Schutzen clubs here uh, locally with me is the um, a, a guy whose name is Tom Payne. Tom is the, he retired from San Diego PD as a sergeant, uh, but he was the sergeant who started the, their, their canine unit. Their canine unit is huge, you know, and um, being able to talk to him and get both sides of the world of sport and, 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 and patrol work. Like I, we were at, at, a, at a canine trial together and this dog, uh, um, you know, it verbally outed nicely, but and came back. And I said, what do you think, Tom? And he's like, you know what? That's a nice out, but uh, he didn't come back into position. He wasn't, you know, he was like off to the side and, you know, they get that attention to detail, but, but then he said, then the cop in him came in, the canine guy said, he goes, but I bet you that's a pretty damn good street dog. You know, so when you can take those, you get those people, there's very few people who were dog trainers before they became cops and before they became a canine handler. There's very few. I can only think of like one or two, you know, and that's, you know, we, we can, we can take what those people that want to give us training on, you know, um, and, and help us out. I think another area that I think. Let me, really let me well jump on. in on that real quick though. Uh, on that note, in my opinion, one of the things you can get from them is you get a passion and um, yes. you and I both see some people just, you know, some of some people on our side, they just phone it in and they're getting paid. And I mean, if it's if the training day is nine to five and if they're not rolling out of there at three thirty, they're ticked off because they want to they think they should be in the driveway by, you know, quarter to five because they work till five. And then you look at some of the people that that do it because it's their passion. Um, they're never been paid for it. You know, there's a friend of mine here and uh, he's been doing this. Uh, as uh, uh, through Schutzen, and then he's trained with lots of agencies. He's a good friend of mine, and I think, I mean, I've known him for 25 years. He's never been paid a dime teaching police dogs, and he's always the first one there and the last one to leave, you know. So if if nothing else, if we can just get some of that passion of, you know, how much fun, I mean, we get to have fun. We put dogs, and we get paid for it. And We uh, get paid to do yeah. it. So, you know who else is crazy passionate? The nose work. The nose work yeah. people. Yeah. Dude, I'm telling you, I mean, I, I get to train with them all the time. I have weekly groups and and I get to do seminars and I'm one of the judges for their sports. Those people are passionate. Uh, they really, I mean, they'll, they'll travel um, hundreds of miles. They'll go states to go compete. They'll, they'll travel a lot. And it's all on their own dime. So, so I, I think what on I, their own time. Yeah, where I'm going with what is good in – I've seen it quite a bit recently on both detector and patrol dog handlers, new ones. They're having a hard time being the happy, praising the dog, showing some emotion and stuff. And if you have a nose work dog that is a, a beagle that was inbred with, you know, and has terrible lines and wants to sleep on the couch, and you can make this dog go out and search for the, the scent that they do successfully... The only way they've done that is by being animated and motivating the dog and stuff. So maybe maybe you don't learn how to do, you know, the the techniques, but if they can just take if, if handlers, if some handlers that struggle with that, if they can just see, you know, what the other end of the leash and the actual genuine passion, because I tell handlers from day one, you can't lie to your dog. And if you just say good boy, it means nothing. But if you say good boy and you're actually excited, like, wow, that was awesome. That means the world, and that's that's the passion that I'm talking about that you get to see with with the, a lot of the civilian people because that's it. Ha, if they didn't if they didn't have that passion and they weren't genuine, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing. 
That's that's a hundred percent true. And, it's good. and you have to be passionate about this. Now, some people do look at our this position as just a stepping stone and then go into other things. But you really need to know about dog training, especially while you're in the unit, because you you could find yourself on a, a witness stand, and your case could be going before the Supreme Court. And uh, um, just just for general dog education, you need to understand this, this the simplest things of you know classical conditioning opera yeah. conditioning and the four quadrants of opera conditioning and understand how they're applied and what we do, because that's what you're going to get asked. Exactly. And if you don't understand those things, you are the expert for your dog. Exactly. At any given time, you're the one they're going to be looking at it. They're looking at me when I do detection work. That I'm the one who saw the changes in behavior. I saw my trained final response and I'm convinced that there is target, a trained odor emitting from wherever. Yep. Yeah. And I'm the one who's got to say it, not my dog. My dog's not going to write the report. Yep. You know, so we, 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 we I do like the idea of, of, of uh, harnessing that passion about training and, and, and then how it kind of feeds over onto understanding the behavior of what you're, this, this tool that we're giving is this living, breathing thing. And there's just so much uh, um, we can learn about animal training and uh, to, to make our jobs that much easier. Yeah, and, and more effective, exactly. Way more effective. Exactly. You, just like we were talking earlier about the marker training, how much more effective that is for, for you know what, what I'm seeing, and when I when I use it, I'm just like, wow, where was where was this 20 years ago? I know, I agree. It was there. <laughs> I just didn't see it. I, I, I actually used to call them clicker heads and kind of make fun of people using clicker because I was I was ignorant about exactly what it was, and I mean I was a fool because it was it's they've been doing it for a long time, and they it's an excellent way to train any animal. So. I'm, I feel fortunate that, uh, you know, I kind of opened my mind up to, to learn what it was. Yeah, it's very cool. One of the, the coolest things I've been able to do in my, my canine handler career has actually nothing to do with uh, canine. It was actually, I'm very fortunate that I'm at where the uh, Naval Mammal Program is. And Scott Clappenbach is big in our canine world down here. And he's also the program manager for there. And I got to go down and watch them train the dolphins and the sea lions. And it was amazing. It was actually just like, and, and Scott was kind of relaying it to me going, okay, this is how it applies in the dog world. And I'm like, this is all making sense now. This is all making sense. And I think that's, you know, we're, we're getting the, the good training that we we're kind of opening up our, our little secret world. We're letting people in. And for know. the listeners, if, uh, if, if, if you haven't listened to the episode, I, I interviewed Scott a few uh, episodes back, you can scroll back through the podcast uh, and find it. And it was a great, it was a great, uh, interview with him because uh as pete says he's a a trainer for navy special warfare and does a lot of mammal training i mean high top secret stuff but then he's also reserve deputy and works a drug dog so here's a guy who can take exactly what we do and apply you know new knowledge to it new ways to do it and he's pretty open-minded about very and he'll share it with you i mean he's more than he's more than willing to to let you uh, pick his brain. I mean, he's such a, a super good guy. Yeah. The other things that I'm seeing too with the, um, technology that is, well, where we're improving is use of technology with, with e-collars. Sure. You know, um, and, and maintaining the control and actually learning how to use it. I remember the first time I was handed an e-collar, it was like, hey, if your dog does something you don't like, fry him. Yeah. Whoa. I mean, I messed that dog up so bad and we had to yep. do a bunch of fixing. Uh, um, but actual people like, um, like, Doug Roller, Bart Bell, and yourself, you know, with a power collar class, you know, those are things where you need to be able to, um, you know, use these tools. I've seen agencies where they've, they've attended these seminars and they've, you know, they've had, you know, uh, um, 
people come out and teach these classes, but then they don't use it. And then we're all over the internet with dogs that won't out. And I've, I've, I've liked to say that I would, I would rather have it and not want it than want it and not have it. Cause I actually had a deployment with my, with my last uh, patrol dog where we were in a, in a bathroom inside a restaurant where we were apprehending a suspect. He could not hear me say out because it was so loud and the suspect was screaming. And I just turned the collar to a very low level of stem, grabbed a hold of his collar and told him got right next to his ear and told him out and he popped off, but he needed that little bit of stem to go. Okay. I can, I can yeah. hear dad. Yeah. Yep. It's a communication you know, a, tool. It's, it's not it's a, a punishment tool. It's a communication tool. Absolutely. It is. And, and um, one thing though, that I, there's a couple of things I want to touch on real quick, because these are kind of uh, topics that are coming back and biting us in the butt. Um, and they are, we got to be careful on what we say and what we do. Good point. And uh, um, an example would be, and a lot of people do at light, light humored, but they'll come in and they'll say, Oh, Everybody step aside, man killer coming through, yeah. you know, and that kind of, and I get it because, you know, we're usually a, a bunch of, you know, lighthearted guys and we're yeah. you know, handlers. And we're trying to have fun, but let's say there's a civil case and your whole squad, the, the canine group that, that you're training with gets asked or is deposed. And they ask, does this dog have a, uh, um, a, a reputation of, yeah being damaging what does the handler say anything yeah. these people you know the, the the other side knows these things then they know to ask and if you know, keep it professional exactly one thing one thing that will get us and get you on the witness stand and make you look really really bad is if you have trophy pictures of your bites exactly yeah and we should not have trophy pictures of our bites um, because I, you know, I asked people this, like, well, why not? And I go, well, do you have pictures of any other uses of force that you've kept? Yeah. And their answer is no. I'm like, so why is this any different? Yeah. Hopefully, is, is, hopefully people aren't doing that, but I imagine maybe there are a few places still, but I have I one old Polaroid of a bite from my dog and it's not on a suspect. It's on my best friend. <laughs> um, because it, yeah. it, it's there to remind me that the seven stitches that my best friend got during a, uh, an accidental bite in patrol, yeah. we were in a, in a big fight and it's, it was my fault. I didn't have control. Uh, and that was there that I, I have that Polaroid. I keep it. It reminds me that my dog is my responsibility. Yeah. It cost me, you know, I had to buy him a new pair of banner, banner <laughs> boots and, you know, we worked together for two or three more years and I could tell when it was my turn to buy lunch because he'd start rubbing his calf, going, you know. How sore he was. Yeah, moons over my hammy would really help my calf feel better. Like, what do you tell the guy? Yeah. Like, yeah, okay, it's on me. It's on me. And another one, and this is this is a, a kind of cliche, it's a hot topic for me, is uh, um, leaving our dogs in the cars. Um, yes. And it, we're, we're in Southern California. It gets yeah. hot as Hades here. Yeah. Um, and I know all over our country, it gets hot. But even in the cold areas, when the sun's out, yeah. it, the, the interior of our car. I just did a little quick Google search of it and using the uh, Officer Memorial Down, uh, Officer Down Memorial yeah. page. And I clicked on the canine stuff. And I went back from 2015. And there were, I'm going to say about 30 deaths for um, our dogs due to heat issues inside the car. Yeah. And here's the kicker. Over half of those, the dog was accidentally left in the car. Yeah. So 
human error on that is a big deal. What I see, and it's a rule that we have um, kind of, I want to say regionally, and it's kind of, at least when I started back in 2000, everybody was doing it. I start seeing it slowly fading away, which is if we're away from our car, our windows are down at least four inches. I just left mine down all the time. It wasn't my gas. Now, granted, yes, I'm in Southern California. It's 70 degrees here most of the time. But we do have our really hot days, and we've had handlers have that have left, not my agency in particular, but in our region, have had handlers that have left their dogs in the cars. And that's a, yeah. that's a terrible way for a dog oh, to go God. because, you know, and, I, and, I, and I'll ask people about that, about that, and they'll go, oh, I'm relying on the, the heat. It's got a heat alarm system on it. Well, that's great. But that's another mechanical device that you're relying exactly. on. Your mechanical device, number one, the car, if that malfunctions, well, Mr. Murphy's going to pop his ugly head up. Yep. And that that prop, that high quality heat alarm system, and I know most of the manufacturers and most of those people are really good people. That thing may malfunction, and it may not work, and you're going to feel terrible if that happens. Could you be charged? Possibly. Yeah. So what's wrong with leaving the windows down a little bit? Yeah. No, I agree. It's not your gas. Yep. Let the let the AC crank. Um, there was one case that I, that I did read on where the, the uh, um, handler stated that the windows were down. Hey, it's a heat issue. And if, you know, the sun gets there and the dog can't breathe and, you know, maybe, yeah. you know, that dog was heat sensitive, but uh, um, maybe you can talk to your agency and see if there's a civil or, you know, a, 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 an organization like the Rotary Club or the Lions Club that might build a kennel for you at the station yeah. where you can put the dog, yeah. you know, while it's, if it's hot and, or what's wrong with bringing a crate into the station? Yeah. If, yeah. if you're going to be in there, the only time I can see you can't leave is if you're literally on the witness stand. Yeah. But if you're away from your dog and you're inside and it's hot, get out there and check on your dog. Yep. And if, uh, uh, yeah. And I, I, I always advocate, you know, if you have to set a timer on your phone, you know, and go out there just so the timer goes off and you're checking on them you know, every 10 minutes, we have a couple of old cars and I tell handlers every 10 minutes, you need to go look at your car. So, Absolutely. Yeah, and, and be a I good, agree. be a good buddy, yeah. be a good buddy. If you're out there and you're, let's say you're training and everybody's watching um, a scenario as they should be. Um, yeah. And you're going, and you're going out to get your dog cause you're going to be up next. Yeah. Put your hand in the window. Yeah. Put the, and just look yeah, next to the just grate. Look and go, hey, yeah. you know, because a lot of people understand that, especially in certain manufacturers, when the engine starts to fail, it pumps the hot air into the interior yep. of the car. The Crown, the Crown Vicks are definitely one that does that. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. They, they were notorious for that. And yeah. that's just an awful way to go. We had a handler in our region get charged. Um, that misdemeanor, you know, animal neglect, but yeah. still, nonetheless, it, it was there. The elements were there. Yeah, so let me, let me throw on one thing on that, if, uh, that subject, though, is, you know, when you do go to take your dog into the, the you know, your house or whatever, every week you should turn all the heat up as high as you can on your car, close all the doors and just test that system. Absolutely. And I know there's a button that says test the system, but I want to test the system to see what happens when hot air is in there. Not when I test the system, is it working right? So I do it. I do it religiously. Uh, just turn in everything, close up all the windows. And in a few minutes, it'll call my phone, tells me it's a warning. And then I let it go to all to full alarm and roll the windows down, turn the fan on. And um, it takes 10, 15 minutes, but I think it should be done at least. And it should be week. also one of those things that should be done um, when you have your supervision inspecting your cars. Yeah. 
Because yep. I think that's a, a big deal is inspecting our equipment and, and seeing how the vehicle is maintained. Yep. Because an idea, if you look at a car and you see how it's maintained and it's filthy, it's going to probably give you a pretty good idea of how the kennel at home is being maintained. Good point. Really good point. And how, your, how the gear that you're being issued is good uh, um, being maintained. So take a look at that. Do that inspection. Um, I'm also one of our armorers, and so I, I and we have rifles in our vehicles that are department issued. I break them out. I go ahead yeah. and hey, let's let's take a look. Let's because even with the dust cover, an AR is going to get dog hair everywhere. We all know this. We're pretty yep. dog handlers. We get dog we get dog hair everywhere. But speaking of guns, how many agencies require that you qualify with your dog? Uh, none that I know of. Right. Well, that's something to think about. Sure. And I heard this number somewhere, and I don't know if it's true or not, but they were something, but it kind of makes sense for, especially in our profession. As a patrol officer, there's it's something like 2,000, your odds are one in 2,000 that you'll be involved in a shooting. But as a canine handler, that jumps immensely. And somebody said yes. it was like 70 or 80, but look at the types of calls we're going yeah, to. It's, it's definitely It's kind of higher. to be expected. Yeah. And do you, if you don't qualify with your dog, you at least shoot with your dog. Exactly. So that you training. know yeah. what's going to happen. The yeah. time to find out is not live. The time to find out is on a range in a controlled environment. So, you know, yep. I, I, I learned that the hard way with, with, again, at that Bob Eaton seminar, we're on the range and my Dutch dog was a little aggressive towards <laughs> gunfire. <laughs> not the time to find out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not yeah. the time to find out. Yeah. So I spent the next gosh like three months getting him neutral yeah. to gunfire yep. or at least not at least controlled yeah yeah where and, yep. and then now with the rifles the concussion coming out of the rifle that that just jolts their body yeah and that's a good reason to approach command about putting suppressors on our rifles yep because that uh, i was able to actually demo a uh, manufacturer came out here and was you know showing off their uh, their their silencers their suppressors um, and if you've ever shot one, you know that it ain't silent, but it definitely, yeah. it helps. definitely dens things because yeah. I brought my dog, I brought my dog out without it and he would, he flinched, but you know, he was just more like a, a jolt, a, a, like yeah. he didn't like it, but he still didn't, he stayed in his down, uh, didn't break or anything like that. Just kind of, I, I saw the ears twitch and the kind of like a little body flinch, but then I brought it out with the suppress and much he was better. just kind of looking at me going, yeah. Hey, I like that. Yeah. That's, it was much better. So also, um, it's an OSHA thing. Yep. If you've got a rifle, you yep. need to think about this. You start shooting in a confined area, yeah. you're going to lose your hearing. Yep. Not if. <laughs> so let's, uh, we kind of try to keep these around 40 minutes. I know you've got a few more. So first thing I want to ask you is, can I get you back on for part two so we can kind of do it? Because I know we got a couple more good and bad things you want to talk about. So can I get you back on for a part two here pretty soon? Are you going to buy drinks at the Nets Hicks conference? Um, we tend to buy drinks at those sometimes. There's there's usually <laughs> a little right. bit of uh, on one night we will. So, because I, I think we've I've been known to partake a couple at the at a conference, yeah. especially during raffle night. I think I've heard you sing. So, <laughs> I think because this kind of is a good time maybe to wrap this up because it kind of goes full circle because we're talking about your dog, your KNVP dog being aggressive to gunfire. I'm sure when you saw the videos on your VHS and you saw a bang, bang, and the dog running 110 yards across the field in the stadium, it kind of was like, I get it. You know, I understand why that gunfire is such, uh, you know, it's, it was a marker for him at the time. But 
you know, we, we didn't know it then that they're aggressive to get fire. So uh, I'm sure that probably helped learning, you know, going back to, to just knowing what your dog's prior training was. Well, it was, it, it took a while. So you would think, yes, but I'm going to be honest with you. It didn't hit me until I had a different mindset. So uh, um, my mindset when I first, with my first dog and let, let's be honest, my, I think a lot of times uh, your first dog is your, your mess up dog your dog where you learn a lot of things. And I think it's very unfortunate that uh, some agencies don't let you have more than one dog. Uh, um, I've been very fortunate to work for, uh, um, but now like when, when I got my, my second patrol dog the dual purpose guy, uh, um, yeah, that all was like, okay, I'm now completely aware of what he's trained to do. Yeah, exactly. You know, so yeah, definitely. Um, but I would love to come back. Yeah. So we're going to schedule that. This is a, you know, these types of discussions happen all the time at HITS, and uh, I know uh, uh, we've been talking about it a lot, so HITS will be in Phoenix next year in uh, July of 2021, if the world is back to normal, which hopefully it will be. Uh, it's, so, so hopefully, and we, we were in Phoenix before, yep. and that was a fun, fun city Yep. And so, to be in. And now it's even a nicer, uh, it's a resort, it's a, the Kirkland uh, Western Resort, beautiful, beautiful place, you can uh, make a kind of a family vacation out of it. your department doesn't want to send you, you could uh, take the, the family with you and spend a few extra days and now you have a tax deductible uh, little break. So highly recommend uh, checking out hitsk9.net. I'll put uh, Pete's contact information in the show notes in case you want to reach out to him. He's a wealth of knowledge, both on obviously training and we didn't really even talk that much, uh, but he's got a long, long, strong background in equipment with his uh, relationship with Ray Allen. So a lot of knowledge uh, from Pete, so I appreciate you jumping on. Pete, we've been talking about doing this quite a while, so it, I think it's been a blast, and I'm really looking forward to, to doing part two. If you're looking to make an investment in your canine career, come the HITS 2021. There's no substitute for the real thing. Whether you're a new handler who's looking to learn more about dog training or an experienced trainer who's looking for new training ideas and techniques, Come the HITS 2021, where the investment is well worth the return. HITS 2021 will have more classes and more vendors who give away more free raffles and gifts and free cash than ever before. HITS is the world's largest canine seminar and is open to police officers and military members. Our experience makes the difference. You've been there, and we've been there too.